This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. We are searchlights we can see in the dark. This week's spotlight, we're going to be talking about a couple different things. We are rockets pointed up at the stars. I'm looking forward to this discussion. We are billions of beautiful hearts. Hello, this is Lynn of uh, Lynn and Jen, and let's talk about sex. And today we're going to be doing a spotlight. And this is really our first spotlight on an idea. And with all of the discussion about harassment, we are going to spotlight, I think, one more psychological perspective, which is really when you look at abusers and you look at the activities they've actually engaged in, is it possible to separate their work and their activities from the abusing individual? Or as it was termed generations ago, can you separate art from the artist? who might be an abusing individual. There are many, many people we can talk about. Come Immediately comes to mind Spacey, the actor who was amazing in many of his films. One of my favorite films was Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. And that right away gets you started thinking about some of these subjects, good, evil, how work is regarded, and uh, a second film that he won the Oscar for, American Beauty. Then Bill Clinton, I think, is another person that we could talk about who has done many, many good works, but at the same time has a, an almost constantly being reawakened pattern of being accused of abuse and documented, supported abuse out there. Uh, so there's really many individuals in my own work. I, I work with abusers, and I also work, work with those who've been abused. So I think this is really a great question, Jen, to talk about today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it because I think it's a different aspect. It's something that I've seen come up specifically around the revealing of all this abuse that has been going on with, I would say, high-profile people, people that um, their audience members identify with. So particularly, this has been coming up a lot around Louis C.K., and he's a comedian and a well-known comedian. And a lot of people think he's really funny. So I think the fact that they're finding out that he was engaged in these sexual behaviors with women, I think it's it's creating a lot of cognitive dissonance for them. And I think one of the ways that people deal with it is that they try to separate out these things and they say, okay, well, we can appreciate his art and not appreciate the things that he's doing. And so it brings up a question of how does that really happen? And how connected are these parts and even the work? Uh, that an individual do, uh, does in terms of the abuse that they might engage in. You know, I was thinking about this with uh, Spacey and uh, the film uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, and that was uh, made in 1997. And many of these allegations had actually already, you know, taken place. Um, the sexual abuse was ongoing at that point in time. This film dealt 
some with the issues of being gay and unrecognized, undetected, and how people go back and forth with these feelings. So, you know, I'm not one to put a judgment out there on Spacey, but just looking at that, you can see that he was grappling with issues around this subject and his behaviors were affecting and intertwined really with the work that he was enacting. Well, that's the part I think that's so fascinating too, is because when you look backwards, a lot of times there is that pattern where you're like, oh, that's interesting that that was interwoven and what brought them to these ideas and these paths. And I think a big thing with art is a lot of art is very personal. It's an expression of yourself and maybe not a direct one, but it's connected to your identity. And so when you look back and you see and you hear, okay, there are these allegations against them of the abuse. And then you look at these patterns. Sometimes I think it brings up questions of, oh, interesting. It's so intertwined. And to use uh, another example, too, I I think I couldn't agree with you more first about that. But with Bill Clinton, he's actually done work to help issues related specifically to women and harassment. Right. So you begin to see how the path weaves together. Two separate patients that I'm working with through this, both have histories of sexually abusing others. You know, first, they're very thoughtful about what's going on in the press right now, but a lot of their lives have been about trying to make reparation for this, trying to understand the abuse that they've engaged in. Now, admittedly, these are abusing individuals who've chosen to come to therapy. One was court-mandated, one not. But, you know, it really says something about individuals who will stay in therapy, try to change a pattern, and are really willing to look at the, you know, the balance of evil and good inside of themselves. You know, there's something important about that process. Well, I think being able to take responsibility for your actions is such a huge part of that process. And a lot of the time, what we see, especially in these more public forums, is a lot of people deflecting or blaming somebody else. And I think that then brings up, you know, how can you work on these issues? How can you make these reparations if you're not even looking at the fact that the onus is on you? that you chose to engage in these behaviors and being able, a lot of therapy is exploring what drove you to this. What are the systems? What are the internal dilemmas that you're grappling with? And if you place it on somebody else, then it's very hard to answer those questions because you're coming from this defensive state. Yes. And that's one of the first parts of therapy. I think for individuals who've engaged in abuse is they have to acknowledge that they've actually done something and they do not like what they've done and they have to be making efforts to change it. I mean, that's a very important step there. I'd like to pull us back a little bit from this question. I think what's so hard, you know, uh, so many are coming forward and saying that they have been abused. And I believe this because the levels of disclosure have been painfully low in the abuse area. You know, with children, only one out of 76 children in some studies are reported to disclose. So you see, we're seeing massive disclosure really coming forward. I wonder how those who have been abused can really regard others and the question we were asking about their work, say, Spacey's films, will they always be triggered by them? Will they always be disgusted by them? Will they always be angry about them? That sort of thing. And I wonder what you think about that, Jennifer. 
Yeah, I think it's an interesting question worth exploring because, I mean, I haven't thought about it until right now, you know, so, but thinking about it, I do think that's really important because I think sometimes the focus is more on the abuser and not on how, how does the abuse affect these people's lives? You know, I'm thinking about that Anthony Rapp and how he was talking about when he was abused by Spacey, he wasn't that big of a star. And so he just thought, you know, he'll go away. I'll never have to deal with him again. And that what really triggered him was seeing him, was it hosting the Os Emmys or Oscars? I can't remember. It was one of the big events and how terrible he felt. And I think that does happen for a lot of victims who are not able to process the trauma and maybe don't go to therapy and don't work through their traumatic PTSD feelings. And also with rap and with so many of the others who've been abused by famous individuals we're talking about. I think there's the anger. Now this individual's famous. Still, it hasn't come out what they've been doing. Sure. You know, they built their art or history or world on my back, so to speak. Yeah. And there's a lot of anger about that, that I think, I'm not so sure how much therapy you need to process that. I think you're always going to have that anger on some level, but you want to help yourself and get therapy for that. So you're not overwhelmed with the response. I mean, I think so. I guess I have a different concept of trauma too. I've been looking a lot into the work of Dr. Levine and how he talks about how the body processes trauma. And I think a big, I don't know if problem is the right word, but a, a big area, a big gap that we have in, in helping people deal with trauma is that we focus so much just on how it affects the mind and we don't really pay attention to how it affects the body. And by paying attention to the body and working through your body trauma, I, I agree with you very much in the sense that I don't think you ever totally get rid of the trauma. It's not like you forget these things happen to you. But I think your body gets frozen in those experiences. And we don't really have a system in place that honors you taking care of your body and being able to process that trauma through. And so I think it's much harder for people because they're, even if they are going to therapy, they're working so much on just what has happened to your mind. And that's very significant, but it's very hard to work on the mind if you haven't dealt with your body. And the post-traumatic stress disorder diagnosis really identifies body symptoms, yeah. you know, physical pain, anxiety as being part of it. Mm -hmm. And then long-term studies on trauma really indicate that individuals use physical health services, medical services at almost twice the rate, right. you know, of other individuals, which really, again, goes back to what you're saying and Dr. Levine's idea that you really have to do work on the body. So body work, yeah, you know, whatever type you want to participate in, along with the more psychological directed work to deal with the trauma. I agree with that completely. Really. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that answers your yeah. question, yeah. but I think it's a really important component that we don't discuss as much in terms of the victim's experiences. I think a lot of people want victims to just kind of keep moving through life and, and they have to because we all have to keep going. But I think acknowledging that it's not just the mental, it's really a very physical memory. I mean, the other thing that comes up a lot of time when I'm working with clients is they talk about like memories tied to smells or tied to sounds. And so 
there's all these different processes at work. And I think it, when you see, you know, somebody that did abuse and they're moving forward in their life and you're stuck, I think it brings up what you're talking about, where that anger. And when traumatic events take place, you have high, heightened perceptions right. of all the senses, the known senses, and then even things like proprioception, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of where your body parts are. And in relation to other people and other objects, that's changed by trauma. Mm-hmm. And you have a different, really maybe heightened awareness of that. So all of this has to be dealt with therapeutically. And there is residual really in your body for that. You're right. They, you know, see Spacey up, you know, receiving an Oscar, let's say, and he's being rewarded. And there's a physical reaction that really occurs in the victims around this situation. And it is a re-traumatizing reaction. A lot of times it's a trigger and maybe mentally they're saying, well, you know, I moved through that or I got past that. But if the body work has not been done, then you are being re-triggered. And I think that for me is what originally drove me to ask this question about the art and the artist, because is it fair that somebody whose art such as Spacey, like, is he a good actor? Sure, he's a fantastic actor, but does he deserve to get those accolades instead of somebody else who maybe could have got them, but was traumatized by him instead? It's a very good question, really, and one to be discussed and to be thought about and, you know, and to realize, I think, the points that the art and the artist are affected by abuse. There's no doubt about it. I mean, that whole process is affected. Individuals, artists who've been abused, it greatly affects their work. So I go back to the whole thing, you know, abusers are also affected by this process and in many ways. And, I, you know, I think it's really important to talk about it and to bring up, you know, how are we going to regard Spacey's art after this has really taken place? Well, I think another question that maybe we haven't asked outright, but that underlies all of this too for me is the idea of the tortured artist and the pained artist. You know, I think some people have this belief that these people are such great actors or are such great artists because they have had this experience and they tap into it and they share it with other people in a way that connects them. So I think it brings up that question too about, you know, what do you do about the fact that for some people, the artwork, the pain that they've been through is the artwork? Yeah. Well, I think we all go through pain in life. There's so much of that. But I think thinking about how the pain we've caused others maybe the impact of that on our work, it leads us really to the question of how do we make reparation really for the pain that we've caused others. And I think that's an important part of this whole process. Um, We spoke earlier on a, a spotlight about Ben Affleck, and he had apologized to those that he might have abused regarding uh, the behavior and admitted that he's changed his attitudes about it. That's part of a reparative process. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I like I mentioned before, I'm interested to follow him because I think it'll be interesting to see how he processes some of these things. Like his brother is a known abuser and he hasn't apologized for him. <laughs> 
and he hasn't asked him to apologize. So it's interesting. He's taking his personal responsibility for his actions, and I think that's really important. I also think when you're in a position where you have more influence, it's important to use that influence to support those who don't have that kind of power. And you're bringing up, you know, in the world of abuse and treating abuse for generations, um, family members who have known about those that have been abused others, what role do they have and what responsibility? Yeah. And, uh, you know, my own personal feeling is that we have to protect others and, and ourselves, you know, and it's important to do that with within a family structure. And sometimes people are quiet and it leads to the abuse, further abuse of others. So I, I think that's, uh, you know, the Catholic Church is a really good example of that. There's constant cover-ups in the world today. You know, so we need to think about that responsibility, too, in all of that. And I think that's what's hard. It's balancing your own personal responsibility with thinking about potential victims. And I think all of us, it's it's not like there's one clear answer, but it's something we all have to wrestle with and how we're going to do that and how we're going to navigate that. Yeah. Well, this is an idea we'd love to hear people's thoughts about really is how do you separate, you know, the, the creative work from an abusing individual? Um, I think it's a really important question and it, it, we think about it, even though we may not talk about it with each other. Right. So the goal is now let's get those thoughts outside of our head. Let's start talking about it. Okay. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Lynn. Check us out on Twitter at Talking Sex Pod. We also now have a Facebook page. It's called Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen. And the address is www.facebook slash talkingsexpod.com. And also remember to subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud or iTunes so you can stay connected and keep that conversation going. If you have any questions or suggestions or just want to chat with us, you can email us at info at talkingsexpodcast.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Come on. Let's talk about sex.